Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. This is Right Side Radio. I'm your host, Phil Williams, where we are solid, conservative, and just plain right. It is 3.35 in the afternoon right now, and we're going to be getting into a segment that I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about. But before I do that, real quick, let me tell you about my friends over at Otter Creek again. I'm going to brag on them every chance I get, because Otter Creek Farm and Distillery is um, one of the premier places uh, to go uh, wing shooting or to have a uh, wedding venue or, for that matter, uh, to uh, just spend the night and enjoy the, the culinary delights that are created by their, their their culinary schools trained chefs. One of the things they're doing right now is a dinner series on Thursday nights. My wife and I ate there recently. A five-course meal, y'all. I've never had a five-course meal in my life. A five-course meal with wine pairing at every course, and they tell you why the wine pairs and, and what the food is, and it was amazing. You can find them at ottercreekfarmstead.com. That's ottercreekfarmstead.com. Best-kept secret in Northeast Alabama. Donald Trump Jr. stayed there not long ago it's worth checking out hey listen we're going to get into a segment right now if you were tuned in a moment ago you heard me talking about critical race theory and then i also went into the 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 fact that the 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 good folks in mountain brook a community just south of us uh in mountain brook they discovered most recently that there were some um some teachings some some training if you will uh for the educators in that particular uh mountain brook school system and uh, it was pretty shocking when the moms and dads figured out what was going on. I got news. It was probably pretty shocking, too, for some of those who were on staff who were told that they had to be at the training session. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a series of, of training sessions that are called um, No Place for Hate, put out by an organization called the Anti-Defamation League. That all sounds good. Uh, but in a minute, we're going to hear some impressions by somebody who was in the mix. Uh, l- let me bring on, if you will, um, uh, somebody who I've just met over the phone recently. Her name is Chrissy Allen. Chrissy is a longtime career educator in both the public and private sectors, and most recently was employed in the Mountain Brook School System. Chrissy, thanks for being on Right Side Radio with us. We appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. And and uh, Chrissy, let's just back up a second. Um, you were a... Uh, uh, a public school educator in the Mountain Brook system until what May of this year? Is that right? Yes. And and were you teaching? Uh, what level were you teaching at? Um, at the high school level. At the high school level. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the high school parents are the ones that showed up at that pretty raucous uh, school board meeting too, weren't they? Yes, I think they were probably the ones that were most concerned about it. Yeah. Well, g- give me give me your thoughts. I've been describing what I know mm-hmm. of it, and I've talked to some other people that were there at that meeting, but you're the first mm-hmm. person I've talked to who was actually went through the training and you're not an employee anymore you can say what you want to say so what 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 was this that you experienced yeah. and how did it go down yeah and first I just want to if I can dispel like a few myths that are going out in the community and one is that you know the backlash from the parent is somehow you know their own aversion or hostility to diversity you know the reason that we were given as to why we were going to have diversity and inclusion training was because of a swastika incident that happened last May. And it was something that really outraged the entire community. You know, we really cherish our Jewish friends and definitely don't want to see anybody, you know, being harmed or bullied or harassed in any way. Absolutely. On its surface, it sounds like something that we were all willing to undertake. In fact, I actually volunteered to be on the diversity committee. Um, what it turned into, however, or it seems to have turned into when it was handed over to the ADL was something that was much more political. And the parents, the reason there's a backlash is because they obviously, you know, with 
the various viewpoints in a public school system don't want a political organization, you know, pushing their own ideology and worldview onto the students. So um, the training itself, you know, it definitely um, embraced the worldviews of implicit bias and white privilege. And, you know, it's become pretty mainstream, I would say, as far as, you know, education goes. It's something that's kind of um, made its way into the administrative level and certification process to date. Um, so I guess I wasn't too surprised at that, um, even though I don't agree with those theories. Because, you know, to me, it essentially, what it essentially does as sort of a basic premise, it tells students that, you know, on one hand, the outcomes you experience are determined by other people's perceptions of you. So, or if, if, if you perceive someone as, you know, making what they call a microaggression against you or create an ouch moment, it could detrimentally harm you. Um, and on the other side, it is asking students to kind of examine almost scrupulously all their actions and behaviors to make sure they're not offending another student. So we're not talking about something that's overt acts, you know, like the swastika incident. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about things that are more subtle that may be actually neutral or may not be necessarily intended um, as an, you know, overt act in any way, but it's perceived to be. So it creates this sort of illusion, you know, it's like, is it, to me, as a teacher, I think it creates unhealthy relationships between students. And, well, you know, obviously with people, I think we see it a lot in today's society um, where everybody is acting on their perceptions of well, whatever the people are rather than their reality. So, Chrissy, so let, let me ask you this, problem. though. Let me, let me jump in there and just ask you. So uh, this came in the form of training for the education, the faculty and staff. Am I correct? Yes. And, and was yes. it designed it's, for your benefit or designed for you to be able to then go and teach the kids? How, how was it, how was it well, portrayed? This is the part that's really unclear because... It was, it was not clearly stated. I mean, if you ask a lot of teachers even today, a lot of them still don't know exactly what it was about, like, and why we were doing it. There were no goals really stated for us. I, you know, all I can assume is that we were to take in kind of these theories and these ideas and then use them as we led the classroom. So it was – and. Like I said, the step that went beyond what I was used to hearing was, you know, in the past we had always talked about creating safe spaces for students, um, which is something I support. You know, I don't think any child should come to a classroom and not feel like they are worthy or in any way feel like they are less than. You know, Absolutely. a lot of times just instilling respect and compassion and kindness, um, creating kind of a positive moral code goes a long way in creating those just safe spaces. Um, this is something that's what they talked about is to be an effective ally in order to be someone who is anti-racist or an effective ally. You know, you can't be colorblind. You've got to confront people you perceive as making these microaggressions. And so what it felt like to me and to some other teachers I talked to is that they were asking us to sort of create this atmosphere in the classroom where students would be challenging one another based on these perceptions they have about their words and actions. And so what it really effectively does, though, is kind of stifle conservative speech a lot of times because what happens is that a student interprets, you know, one student's value of law and order or, um, you know, their interest in having a pride of country and finds it offensive. And so they start 
kind of feeling a sense of shame for those things because they're causing a, you know, an ouch moment for another student. Well, and that um, being said, when y'all were going through the training, if I recall correctly from our conversation earlier, there were scenario-based training that you had to go through. Like, mm-hmm. how would you respond if this yes. happened? And some of those, uh, those training sessions or, or those scenarios were um, – leaned towards a political agenda that was that was not inclined to conservative thought like uh transgender student rights or or you know gender-based issues or for that matter you know just conservatives in general being extremists did you see some of those kind of things when you're going through the training or others that you were with you know we had different breakout sessions um there were some that were so far-fetched i didn't even understand them you know so i can't really in retrospect even explain them because they were so what seemed to be a little benign that I didn't even understand how it was offensive, you know. Um, but from other teachers I've heard from, they have suggested, and this is secondhand because I, I don't recall specifically these. Um, I have heard from other teachers that said there were some gender um, references and, and offenses. Well, that's um, that's that's it's it's pretty amazing though that this is going on. And, and one of the things that I think that struck the um, the parents. Uh, is that Anti-Defamation League, That uh, what, what a great name, the Anti-Defamation League. That yeah, sounds like right. really cool, too. But yet when you go into their own um, you know, for organizational documents and, and position papers, you begin to find that they, they are an organization that you wonder, how in the world did they get their curriculum mm-hmm. into our school system, and why is it that none of the parents even realize this was happening? Um, and, uh, and, and so here we are today with a school board uh, that had to confront 300 angry parents and – yeah. That, that got pretty lively, if I understand. Yeah, it, it did. And, you know, I wasn't at the first board meeting. I was at the city council meeting where we were just encouraging the city council to use their um, influence, I guess, with the board. But I suspect the next board meeting, you know, will have the same <laughs> um, energy <laughs> to it yeah. um, because you do see it on both sides. And, of course, right in the middle, there are those who don't understand really why the parents are angry and they think that it's just, you know, hostility to diversity, which is not true. It's just about, you know, not bringing a political organization or a specific worldview into a public school system that's supposed to serve all students. Especially one that's using taxpayer dollars to to, to right. sort of force something upon both the educators and the students in, in a manner that does not comport with the overall views of the community. And, and exactly. I think... I think that's got to be taken into account. Chrissy, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being with us. And, um, and thank you for your time in the classroom. My, um, you know, my, my wife was a private school educator. My daughter-in-law is a public school educator. My sister-in-law is a support staff in the school systems. And, um, and uh, what you do is God's work. So, so thank you for that. And, uh, and I wish you the best in the days to come. And uh, thanks for speaking with us today. Well, thank you. I appreciate you covering it. Wish the best for you, too. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, listen, folks, we're winding down this segment, and in a few minutes, uh, we're going to be sort of talking through the issues in more detail. And then top of the hour, right after the news, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Casey Wardinsky, former superintendent for the Huntsville City Schools, who's now a candidate for Congress. Got a pretty cool resume himself. We'll talk through that and see what his thoughts are. This is Right Side Radio, where we are solid conservative and just plain right here on 92.5 FM 770 AM WVNN 347. We'll be back right after this.
770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. Phil Williams hosting Right Side Radio, where we are solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hey, listen, you've, you've been tuned in now for a while, and we've had a good time this afternoon. We're going to finish up this hour, and in a few minutes, we're going to have a, uh, a great guest on. Uh, Dr. Casey Wardinsky is going to be with us to talk about his run for uh, Congress on top of the other things he's done in his life. But listen, let's, let's wrap this up. We've done some things over the last couple of hours. And we've, we've gone down the road of wokeism. And we're going to call out woke everywhere we see it. Woke thinks they're woke, but guess what? We're not asleep. We see it. And, and, and truth be told, we've got to have more folks out there who are willing to say, hey, you know what? Not on my watch. I see that. And I so appreciate the call we had just a moment ago with uh, Chrissy Allen, who was a public school educator and, and literally had to go through the training that caused her to have to say that things aren't the way they are and that uh, racism exists somewhat systemically by an organization called the Anti-Defamation League, using taxpayer dollars to put that into the system without the parents even realizing it was there. But they did find out. They did find out. Well, folks, I said it earlier, if you didn't hear me, I'm sitting here looking at a list of 42 schools in the Huntsville area, many of which are in the Huntsville school system, who have um, apparently adopted the exact same curriculum that the parents in um, Mountain Brook said no to. And, and you need to be aware it's out there. It's in your backyard. It's not like it's somewhere else. It's not like, oh, Mountain Brook, bless their hearts. That's down the road. It's really not here. It's your taxpayer dollars, too. I can sit here and name the schools. Madison County High School, Macy Jemison High School, Heritage Academy, High Meadows School, my alma mater, Grissom High School, Huntsville High School, Huntsville Junior High School, Indian Creek Middle School. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's, it's, it's here, too. All right? It's here, too. And, and we're seeing it in other places and in other things. You heard earlier my, my friend Matt Clark from the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty. He called in to say, um, hey, you guys need to be aware that the city of Montgomery is looking at passing what they call a SOGI ordinance. If you're not familiar, a SOGI ordinance is sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, there is some thought that the Montgomery City Council is going to take up the mayor, uh, his, his mantra on this, and implement a, an ordinance that says that there will be preferential treatment or hiring practices related to sexual orientation and gender identity in city government. But because the mayor won't release the text of the ordinance in advance because he recognizes the backlash he'll get, there are also some who believe that he may be trying to implement an ordinance that says that it will be hiring practices within the city period, which means that all private entities and businesses, churches, others, could be subject to this ordinance. Y'all, it's a game changer. I don't think, as a, as a practicing attorney, I don't think, and Matt Clark agreed, that they have the, 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 the right, the purview under the law to implement something of that nature. But you know what? It doesn't stop them from trying, and we know it. And we're seeing it left and right. And so here we are. We are the uh, allegedly most conservative state in the nation. And you know, our own uh, Speaker of the House, Mac McCutcheon, uh, somebody who I, I respect highly, he's been the Speaker of the House for a while, just announced he's not going to run for re-election. But, but Mac McCutcheon said most recently he believes that the Alabama House is the most conservative house of representatives, state level, uh, in the nation. And I would say that if you look back at the things they did this past year in legislative session, it doesn't quite stand up that way. We're supposed to be the most conservative state in the nation. Right now, I personally live in the 4th Congressional District, and the 4th Congressional District of Alabama had the highest per capita vote for Trump of any congressional district in the entire United States. That's where I live. That's, that's who we are. Alabama is what they call a red state. A red state meaning if you look at party affiliation, there are far more Republicans than there are Democrats. 
I'm going to go ahead and suggest to you right now that you need to be aware of the fact, if you're not already, that being a Republican and being a conservative are sometimes two different things. Mm. Let that sink in. Sometimes being a Republican and being a conservative are not the same. And folks, we saw some things this past legislative session in Alabama. Could not believe it happened here. Having served for eight years as an Alabama state senator, as a member of the caucus in the 2010 sweep uh, where the Republicans took back the legislature from 136 years of Democrat control, we did things based on principle, whereas it seems like some of those principles have eroded in recent months. Just yesterday, if you haven't seen it, the Alabama Policy Institute, where I'm affiliated uh, and, and, and been employed now for several years since I left office, the Alabama Policy Institute came up with what we call our watch list. It's a legislative scorecard. You can go to my website, rightsideradio.org, and click on the link and see it. Find out how your legislator did. How did they score on conservative principles? There were seven key votes that we identified, and we said, hey, are you, are you paying attention out there? Because we're telling you in advance, these are seven bills, and the conservative position on them would say, vote this way or vote that way. Some did. Some really didn't. We also graded them on things like their attendance, Go figure you got a grade on attendance, and yet we've got two state senators who have not been to Montgomery the entire year. One hasn't been there in two years. If you get elected to the office, shouldn't you show up for the job? We also had things in there grading them on, like, did you raise local taxes through a little bitty local bill that only your delegation was really working on and kind of flew under the radar? And oh, by the way, do you have a public image? Do you get out there and tell the general public how you feel about the issues? Because some do, and they do it well. Arthur Orr being an example here in the listening area it does a great job. He's constantly on social media. He's out giving speeches. He's on the radio uh, with me as recently as yesterday. Uh, he, he's, he's doing that. Then we have some who do nothing, and they scored zero on that part of the, um, the scorecard. You go look at the watch list, the Alabama Policy Institute's legis- legislative scorecard, and see where your people did. Who is your state representative? Do you even know? You need to know. Who's your state senator? Look them up, see how they did, and you'll be amazed to find that some Republicans scored worse than Democrats. Mm, That's going to cause a shock. But all said and done, being a Republican and being a conservative are sometimes two different things. But we do live in the most conservative state in the nation. And we do live in the best place to live. And Right Side Radio, where we're solid conservative and just playing right, is going to keep on harping on that mantra, asking some of you to be right side ruffians and policy warriors and to say things like, not on my watch. So, folks, uh, I'm glad you're with us. It's about the top of the hour. We're going to take that break for the news, and we're going to be back in a few minutes. And we're going to have a guest with us that I think you're going to enjoy hearing from. I know I want to find out more. Uh, He's got a great career, and he's looking to do more things in D.C., We'll see how it goes. Casey Wardinsky back with us in a minute. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. 